Hello, mamas, and welcome to Bump to Mum, a podcast that has been created by me, Emma Coxhead, after the birth of my son, Louis. I realized that there was so much to learn, and it's hard to know where to start. Comfort came from me to speaking with other mothers and parents, and this is where Bump to Mum was born. Bump to Mum is a platform to share conversations we have with other parents, learn from experts in their field, ask questions, find answers, share experiences, and laugh and cry along the way as we try to navigate the maze of which is motherhood. Hello and Happy New Year. It's not even early January, it is literally February now, um, but I hope you have all had a wonderful summer. Um, It has been so nice to just have this amazing weather have a bit of time off over Christmas and New Year and have a slow-ish start to the year. It's not really been slow but I think it's been nice having like longer weekends with some of the holidays and yeah just trying to drag out summer. Um, so yeah I hope you've all had a wonderful time. I hope the holidays weren't too hectic if you've got school kids or you know busy busy toddlers babies wherever you're at in your journey at the moment um definitely one of those things where yes it's a it's a summer break and you may have a break from your paid job if you're working at the moment or whatever that might look like for you but there is no break from parenting so I know that we definitely (laughs) found the the break is amazing it also have all that family time we were we were pretty knackered so while we were refreshed to go back to work we were not relaxed if that makes sense I don't know if I'm making sense but I think you know what I mean um it was good to get back into routine it was good to get Louis back to daycare get us back to work it's so nice having a break but yeah it was also nice to get back into our 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 rhythm of the year and so much to look forward to um I enjoyed having a bit of a break from the podcast um I am working a bit more now so it's all just becoming a bit much to squeeze in but having some time to reflect on it over the break I do I do love speaking to experts and other mums and it's something I do want to continue this year um I just think the frequency in which I upload um episodes is probably going to be more on a fortnightly or every three weeks or so rather than weekly that was just not going to get that was just not going to be manageable this year with lots of other things going on so yeah good to be back um Already I've recorded some epic chats and I'm so excited to share those with you. I thought before we got into the first episode of the year, I'd give you a bit of an update on where Louis at at the moment. So he is 18 months old now, um, which is crazy to think if you're new to this podcast. I I started this podcast when Louis was four months old this in January 2023. So that is just in itself kind of crazy. We are really into toddler toddler life now with um some big emotions um a bit of frustration but is probably an under, a bit of an underestimation a lot of frustration um but on the other side of that my goodness he's so cute at the moment like I think they just become these little humans and they do have their you see their little personalities come out and they do like cute things and you can do more with them and it's fun but whoa on the flip side the emotions the frustration the you know the things we used to do in our days are different now like I've had to kind of accept the fact that Louis is no longer just going to come to a cafe and sit in the pram while I have a coffee 
that that is not a thing. Um, there was a really nice time where that was a thing and it is just not the case now. So I've had to accept that, you know, the days that I'm with Louis and it's, you know, full-time me with Louis because um, I'm just working three days, those days need to be activity-filled. They go, go, go. Um, he likes to be outside. He needs space to move. Um, and, yeah, I'm just having to, to learn how to manage the emotions and frustration and set boundaries and all those things that I feel like if you're in the toddler years, you'll completely understand what I'm saying. Um, you've really got to keep your, keep your cool. It can be challenging. I'm finding it challenging. I've actually gone back and listened to the podcast I recorded with Renee from Little People, Big Emotions. The time I recorded that, Louie was like 11, oh, maybe 13 months old. And I just had no idea, really. Um, we were not at that phase. He was so chill, so crazy. And he still is chill and crazy. That hasn't changed. But we weren't even having emotions, you know, apart from hungry, tired, um, gassy, whatever. Um, so I've actually gone back and listened to that. And that has been a great refresher that I needed. So if you are in, in those kind of... I feel like it's like 15 months to, gosh, someone tell me when it starts to settle or maybe it doesn't, um, then yeah, go back and re-listen to that episode. It was super, super helpful. Um, yeah, so enough about us. Um, what I would love to tell you about is this week's episode. So I spoke with um, the lovely Rachel from The Food Tree. This episode is all about how we teach our children to have a positive relationship with food and their bodies. I think it's something that is just in such a diet culture fueled world where social media and all these things, it's it's so hard to be body positive or even body neutral. Um, there's so many different things around what you should be eating, what you shouldn't. This is bad. This is good. Try this diet, this, this, this. And like, I think it's just all consuming and personally I find it really hard to block out. I try my best, but I want to raise my son and future children in a world where they don't care about that. It doesn't matter what someone's body looks like, if they're thin, if they're fat, if they're whatever. Um, and just to have a really positive relationship with food, see food for what it is, which is food, all foods equal. Um, and yeah love food, eat for enjoyment, eat for fuel, um, and not have any guilt around food. So Rachel is going to take us through all of that. I found this chat, oh, there's just so much to get into. She has a wealth of knowledge. She's a dietitian. She runs her own business. She does a lot of work with early childhood education centers, um, helping them educate children around food. We talk about sugar, you know, how do we approach sugar with our children? Is it a case where we shouldn't let them have it, we should just let them go full rain on it, um, all those sorts of things. And Rachel takes us through her own journey as well as why she got inspired to do this work as a mother of two daughters um, and, and why it is so meaningful. We're really having to undo the way that we were raised um, and that's not to say we were raised wrong, but it was just different and there's more information now. So, you know, if you're an 80s, 90s child, like this is such a good episode for you because it is a bit of a rework it's not the way we think so um i found myself being like wow i've got a lot of work to do here because as a lot of things with parenting kids imitate and look to us and look at us so if we are positive about our bodies and food 
they are probably going to be too. So yeah, a lot of work for us to do on ourselves here. Um, put my hand up and say I've got some work to do. Um, but it's exciting to listen to an episode like this and know like where to start, what you can do today to help um, put yourself and your family in a situation where they have a really positive relationship with food, their body and all those things. So I will let you listen to this episode. I hope you find it as helpful as I did. I will put a link to Rachel's account in the show notes if you want to check that out and go and have a further conversation with her about anything we talk about. So yes, without me mumbling on anymore, please, please enjoy. And if you do enjoy, I would love if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. It is so, so helpful for someone like me with a little podcast to help my podcast be found. So yeah. If you could do that, that would be amazing. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I would love for you to introduce yourself to anyone that's listening. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and the work that you do. Hi, Emma. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. It's really great to be here. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm a dietitian. Um, I'm from Ireland originally, if you didn't guess by my accent. <laughs> um, and I have been a dietitian. This year is going to be 20 years since I left university, oh which God. I don't know how I could possibly be that old, <laughs> but but I am. <laughs> um, and I, I do a number of different things in terms of my work. So I work with children with extreme fussy eating. Mm-hmm. I also work with adults with binge eating disorder. And then at the food tree, we do a lot of work. I work with um, children, again, who are fussy eaters. I have got a workshop for parents um, on starting solids. And really, a lot of my work is on helping to protect a child's relationship with food and helping parents Mm -hmm. to heal their own relationship with food. So it's Mm -hmm. coming from that place of kind of kindness and compassion to ourselves and our relationship with food and our bodies. Um, So whether you're a parent with with children with their own feeding issues or whether you want to work on your own body image or your own self-esteem or how you feel about your body or your eating that's kind of really what we do oh and they're so connected as well which we will get into right like how we talk and feel about ourselves I'm sure our children are in tune with all of that as well is would that be something that you kind of we can talk about a bit later yeah, exactly. I I do a lot of work with, with schools and early childhood centres and we do workshops on kind of body image and feeding. And um, it's it's really about how we set up that foundation for a positive relationship with food and our, mm-hmm. that many of us didn't get um, ourselves growing up, yeah. particularly in the kind of 90s, 80s and 90s. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And what kind of inspired you to get into this line of work? Have you got kids of your own? Like, was it through an, a, a journey you went through or what was it that kind of brought this all about? Yeah, um, so I've got two two children myself, two girls, um, which I feel really brings up the body image side of things as well. So my girls are now aged eight and nine and I had my children really, really close together. Uh, there was 15 months between them. So oh I found goodness. out I was pregnant when my youngest was six months old. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, my oldest is yeah. Wow. Um, so I was already working as a dietitian, and I'd spent a lot of my work. I, I've always worked quite differently. Um, my mom is a therapist, so I grew up with talking about your feelings, and, and as a teenager, like going, oh, I don't want to talk about my feelings. But once <laughs> I got into doing nutrition, I realised that 
food's more than just food. There's this whole other layer to how we feel about ourselves and our bodies and body image um, and our relationship with food. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it really started when my children were, were little. Um, I'd spent a lot of time working in hospitals and, and I worked at the children's hospital and things like that. And I was kind of a bit frustrated with with dietetics um, and working in hospitals um, and just the, the, the way the medical system was working. And I was nearly going to give up completely on being a dietitian. And mm. I met my business partner, who's an early childhood teacher at this beautiful, respectful parenting playgroup. Um, and I'd had a period of, of postnatal depression after having my, my second child, which mm. considering so much was going on, it makes sense <laughs> that, that my yeah. mental health wasn't great. Um, but I then did my own stuff around positive parenting and mindful parenting and mindful self-compassion just to kind of support myself. Um, but I soon realized that there was kind of an area that this could be brought into working with nutrition as well um and it was my business partner that approached me she had a daughter who was a really fussy eater and had been to the hospital and felt like she didn't get the support she needed and she we were just sitting down at this this um mums and bubba group kind of chatting and having a cup Mm. of tea and she said you're the you're the first person that's really listened to me compassionately and heard my story and really given me some practical and helpful advice. Um, and mm. she said, there's there's a real need for that in, like we see so much kind of mom shaming in in groups and on Facebook and, and we should be doing this and we should be doing that. And she said, there's a real need for that information for parents. Um, so practical evidence-based nutrition information but that's really coming from that place of kindness and compassion and and reality kind of thing I think as well like that that we're not perfect and we do things imperfectly mm-hmm. and and there's a need for that as well um yeah oh my goodness this yeah it's I there's so many things I want to ask you I think it's <laughs> That's an important area of work, and my goodness, I've been looking forward to talking to you. Maybe to just like set the scene a little bit. So, you're a dietitian. What would be the difference, say, between a dietitian and a nutritionist in terms of like your training and the support you offer families? Um, yeah. So, a, a dietitian is is a protected title um, in New Zealand mm-hmm. and and worldwide. So, if you see a dietitian in New Zealand, you know that they have at least a postgraduate. Um, so they've done a degree in nutrition, but in order to be registered in this country, you have to done a postgraduate in nutrition as well and in dietetics. Um, so anybody can be a nutritionist. You could do like if you wanted, you could go out and look online and do a five week nutrition course and then say, oh, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, reg- a qualified nutritionist. Um, so it's not a protected title. But I think the other thing is that um, as a dietitian, I'm accountable, so I have to keep up my evidence base. So I need to make sure that what I'm saying is is actually factually accurate and that I'm looking at the research. And And not all research and science is the same. Like you might see a paper or a, a headline in a newspaper that says something that's based on a study. But when we actually look at the study, it might have been done on animals and it's not the same as doing a, the, a really big study looking at, at research in humans. So dietitians have to maintain a certain level of evidence-based practice which as you can imagine Mm -hmm. there's so much stuff on the internet that's just 
um, kind of I like the term nucci bollocks <laughs> so, <laughs> or or um, wellness wankery is something that somebody else uses. I love that. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that that may not there may be an element of science to it, but the science mm-hmm. is still learning, and a lot of nutrition science is really in its infancy. There's a lot we still really don't know. Um, it's it's hard to study like nutrition really accurately like we can't kind of say okay you guys go away and eat this way for 50 years and you guys do something different and we'll follow you up (laughs) um so so much so much of our research is based on kind of epidemiological studies so looking at people long term in terms of data and there's so many things that can change um over the course of your lifetime in terms of what what you eat how you how you manage Mm -hmm. your mental health your stress levels so so yeah, the main difference really with a dietitian is that we've we've got um, a higher level in terms of education. But you can also see nutritionists that have that that master's level as well. So if you're wanting to see a nutritionist, look for somebody who's a registered nutritionist. So they're somebody okay. who has done a qualification and, and a degree and a, and a postgraduate in nutrition. Okay, that's good to know because it is kind of like I feel like the whole health diet nutrition space is so overwhelming at the moment everywhere online every person seems to have an opinion on what you should be eating and how you should approach food and it it does kind of become overwhelming and you start overthinking it so Mm. what would be your approach and what's kind of the like advice you give to families in terms of how you approach and talk about food with your kids oh um, yeah so in terms in terms of how we talk about food with with, with children, mm. children are really don't have the the mental capacity to understand nuances in terms of um, moderation and balance, and so we really want to keep our language very neutral when we're talking about food. Um, mm. And when we if we talk about food as being good foods or bad foods, children then end up can end up feeling shame for eating foods that they think of as bad or they, mm. they can get confused like if you're if you're saying to a four-year-old oh cake's really bad for you but then they're eating it and they think oh it tastes so good how can it be bad yeah. <laughs> or um if granny's giving them cake when they go to granny's house they're like well why is granny doing something that's bad for me and they just mm. it's really it can be really confusing for them um so in our house we don't moralize food we don't talk about good foods and bad foods or foods that are healthy or unhealthy we just food's just food and and apples Mm. apple chocolates chocolate um and and we let children kind of make their own choices in terms of how much they want to eat and letting them have that autonomy over their body um Mm. so that's one of the things we do when we're talking about food yeah Yeah. sorry no I was just thinking about that because like that's that's the approach I want to have with food with Louie, but I feel like I've grown up in a in a world where food is good or nutri- you know, that's healthy, that's not healthy, you know. So how do we as parents kind of I kind of I guess re- rework how we've really grown up with food and been ingrained, like the whole like you sit at the dinner table and you finish your whole plate before you get down, like that sort of mentality, because that's kind of where a lot of these things have come from right 
Yeah, and I, I think so many of us, like and we grew up in those kind of clean plate households where, where you had to finish everything yeah. on your plate. Um, and I still remember, like to this day, there was there was one time my mom was serving carbonara pasta mm. and, I, and I told her I wasn't feeling well. And she was like, no, you're sitting there till it's finished. And I, and I remember it was cold and it was like two hours had <laughs> passed and I was still sat at the table. Um, yeah. And afterwards I got sick. <laughs> um, oh. And she she apologized afterwards but um she she kind of she didn't mean to ruin my relationship with carbonara but to this day I still can't eat kind of creamy pasta sauces um so one of the things is just acknowledging that our relationship with food is different and that our parents didn't mean any harm in terms of how they were with us they thought that they were doing Mm -hmm. That they were doing what they learned from their parents. Like a lot of our parents would have grown up with parents who had been in the war and there was rations and and scarcity. And um, so there was a real kind of need to make sure we didn't have any food waste. And I think Mm -hmm. parents today have a similar idea in terms of like from environmental reasons, we don't really want to waste food. And we're we're now with a really high cost of living. So it's really like for, for a lot of parents, it's it's a struggle to get um, the right types of food on the table. So having food waste can be a big trigger for parents. Um, so one of the things I kind of talk about with parents is how we let, um, if, if we follow the division of responsibility when we're feeding. Have you heard about that? Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, the division of responsibility is, is we decide as parents what goes on the table um, where when mealtimes are and where they are so we decide the mm-hmm. what the when and the where and you provide the food as a parent and but then you leave it all over to the child to decide how much and whether they want to eat what we've put on the table and there's a yeah. few reasons why that's really helpful one is it's allowing the child body autonomy and um, like we know that children's intakes vary hugely from day to day they did a mm-hmm. a, a study looking at at um from four years old or three years old up to six years old. And they found that there was a difference calorie wise from 400 to 4,000 calories per day between children. And um, so, so sometimes you're, and I'm sure you know this, having a toddler at home like this, sometimes they're a bottomless pit and you cannot keep <laughs> them in food. And then there's other times they're just not as interested. Um, and that's really normal, that fluctuation yeah. from day to day. So by following the division of responsibility, you let children decide how much they feel like eating and the other thing is that by doing that they're honoring their hunger and their fullness so Mm. instead of like when we were younger we would have been taught continuously to override hunger or override fullness so to eat more than what we were hungry for all the time so Mm. um by sitting at the table and you can't eat that until you finish this or um you're constantly eating more than what you feel like eating and and after a while if you always do that what you're teaching your body is not to bother giving you those signals anymore um Mm. and I work with a lot of adults that have lost that ability to tune into hunger and fullness um through years of dieting or or kind of restriction and and binging and things like that yeah uh, so maybe let's talk about that so how how can someone start to heal their own relationship with their body when you know you've got all this diet culture out there like you literally put you open any form of social media and I feel like someone's doing like a day on what I eat in a day or look at my green juice that I drink for breakfast like that is all 
diet culture or like look at me eating like this like we have this obsession with what people eat in a day which is just bizarre but I'm like guilty of being like oh what are you eating you know yeah so how do we have like a really positive relationship with our own body when Mm. we've got all this noise around us yeah it's it's so hard because we live in a world that prioritizes thinness and, Mm. and 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 equates thinness with health so we automatically see if you're thinner, you're healthier, you're better, mm-hmm. you're more worthy in society. You're, um, and and it, it's it's been shown through studies that like people who are in smaller bodies do better in with jobs with uh, like they they get promotions quicker, they um they get treated with more respect, and it's it's one of the big things is acknowledging that that is a flaw with our society, not with us. Mm-hmm. And, and and seeing diet culture for what it is, it's, it's, it's entwined in everything. If you go to the doctors mm-hmm. and you're in a bigger body and you've got a, a problem with your knee, you'll automatically be told to go and lose weight <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of been, been, to, been given some advice and actually helping to, if, if somebody was in a smaller body, they'd be given anti-inflammatories or told to go to the physio mm-hmm. or so acknowledging the, the kind of the, the problems with our society and where diet culture shows up and the reality mm-hmm. of what we're faced with is is probably one of the first things. Um, another aspect is really looking at what you're seeing on social media and curating, mm-hmm. like limiting your time on social media, which which can be hard. Um, yeah. But also just looking at what it is that you're actually watching. What are you seeing? Um, are you seeing different diversity in bodies? Are you following people in different size bodies, different shapes bodies, different abilities and disabilities? And um, are you following a mix of things or or is your 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 feed showing you just one particular aesthetic? Um, yeah. Other, I think another really important thing is aiming for body neutrality rather than this kind of I love my body all the time (laughs) Um, Mm. like we're never gonna love our bodies all the time Um, and our bodies change and shift as we grow and and as we have children um, our bodies are very different after having babies Um, so aiming for accepting our bodies as we are rather than kind of loving our body um, and realizing that our body is just part of who we are that there's all these other things that make up who we are as a person Um, so um, what would be some things that we can do to start like you know being more neutral about our body like yeah. what are some tips that we can do to yeah I guess not just look at the surface or like be yeah. like oh I like this or oh my god I love this like just actually be neutral about it yeah that's a really great question um one of the things like we're we're really hardwired for critical thoughts and negative thoughts mm-hmm. um and and we we jump like I I Often when we do workshops, um, we'll, we'll do a survey at the end of a workshop and, and there may be like 80 people who said it was was great and amazing, but there'd be one person who it wasn't the right fit for and they made some comments that weren't as, as positive. But it's mm. really hard to not focus on that just one negative thing and, 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 and to look at the positive. And it's the same with our bodies. Um, we need to actively prioritize shifting from a negative thought to something more positive and reframing it so something mm-hmm. might be um say if you're thinking oh I hate my belly it looks like I'm I'm still pregnant or I'm pregnant again mm-hmm. you can reframe that thought and say my belly looks different now than it did before I've had a baby mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. a really simple it's a neg it's it's shifting it from a negative just to a, a neutral thought um, mm-hmm. 
or something like if you've got stretch marks, you might be thinking, oh, the stretch marks on my belly are gross. It's disgusting. Instead, you can reframe that to thinking, I'm really thankful that my body was able to stretch and allow me to be able to carry my baby. It's great that my baby, my body was able to do that for my baby. Um, so it's just those little reframes. And, and, and another thing that can be really helpful is practicing some gratitude for our bodies. Um, we know that gratitude practice actually helps to rewire our brain so that even if we don't believe what we're writing, writing down some positive thoughts about our body can start reframing our neural pathways so we can actually start thinking differently the more we focus on the positives. So writing down two or three things each night or each day that you are grateful for your body. And it doesn't need to be for how you look. It can be, I'm really grateful that my arms are really working so I can carry my two-year-old around the house or I can I can pick him up and give him a big hug or um, I'm grateful mm-hmm. my stomach for digesting my food. It's, it's functioning and it's working or I'm grateful I no longer pee when I jump on the trampoline because I've seen a pelvic <laughs> physio kind of. It's... It's just reframing those positive things that we can focus on that instead of those negative thoughts that come in. Isn't that incredible that we can do that with our brain just by like, even if we don't believe it to start, if we just start doing that, we can train our brain to be more more positive, neutral and positive about the way we feel about ourselves. It's just insane. We've, yeah. You've brought up a couple of times, obviously, pregnancy, childbirth, like these are huge changes in a female's body like you go from being you to carrying a baby to then birthing that baby and then having this different body mm-hmm. so that must have an impact on our our brains our body image our, our self-esteem like how is there like some science behind like what actually happens to our body image and self-esteem through that time yeah there's there's been some research studies and and they show like what like you said, there's so much happening to our body, mm. like our, our our stomach changes, we gain weight, our posture changes, like our whole gait and our posture changes. And um, some people have changes yeah. with their hair, with their skin. And um, so we're completely a different person after having a baby than we were before. Um, mm-hmm. And and we know, and, and the other thing is that those changes in our body are actually really in direct conflict with this kind of social idea of, of what Western beauty should look like, that we should have a flat yeah. stomach and a thin waist and and kind of hips and a, and a, and a kind of six pack and defined muscles and flawless skin. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of the changes that happen in pregnancy are in direct conflict with that. And that's where a lot of our dissatisfaction comes from. There were studies looking at, at women and how they felt after having a baby. And it showed that 60 to 70% of women felt dissatisfied with their body after having a baby. Oh, isn't that really, is really sad? sad? Really sad. And when we think of the amazing thing that our bodies have just done, like we've, we've, we've grown a whole human <laughs> kind of mm. over nine months and given birth. And, and, and for so many people, we're then feeding that human as well and actually yes. nourishing them. So there's there's so many changes and I think like you talked about earlier there's there's such an effect of social media like um Mm. we're seeing these um celebrities who have bounced back after having a baby within two weeks they've got their pre-baby body back um Mm. and uh, so many of the images that we're seeing aren't actually real um I saw an image of of Khloe Kardashian after having a baby before and they did the before and after of the photoshop images for this magazine and 
everything was photoshopped. They even changed oh, the color wow. of the baby. Even the baby's skin color wasn't the right shade for the magazine. Oh, so they photoshopped God. the baby, <laughs> which is oh, horrific. So horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's like you go through this huge change, your whole life change, you're different. You've got a baby to look after. Like you can't prioritize, like even if exercising and eating what you think is a good diet, like pre-baby was, you know, was that, if that was something you prioritized, you just don't have the time once you have kids as well. Like it becomes so much harder to spend all this time cooking a meal or going for a long walk or doing all this sort of stuff. So what it maybe like, I guess like talking about that more, like there's all these, this pressure to bounce back after you have a baby, like you've got to lose, you know, like everyone's puts this like subconscious pressure or mm. not subconscious pressure on themselves to lose weight. What are like, I guess with the sort of work you do, like how damaging can that be? Um, and what are some ways that I guess, or what are some myths about dieting and weight loss after pregnancy? Yeah, I, I feel like for a lot of people, there's that expectation of, of, of bouncing back. And it's it's not realistic. Like our bodies are different. They say that it can take kind of up to three years for us to start feeling better about our bodies after having a baby. So being mm. kind to ourselves and realistic that our body's gone through a lot. And and like you said, we don't have the time to prioritize um, ourselves as much it's it's helpful if we can prioritize our own needs where we can so finding those moments for yourself even if it's kind of 10 minutes to go outside and have a cup of tea by yourself and listen to, to, to nature or just have a, yeah. a minute of peace or feeling where you can get activity that feels good for yourself too because because that's a way of taking care of ourselves so kind of leave the laundry and and go out and actually take some time for yourself um, mm. but we know that that dieting after having a baby is is not good for our bodies. Our bodies are have been through this huge change. And actually, when we're pregnant, our body prioritizes the baby's nutritional needs over ours. So oftentimes, we're coming out of pregnancy nutritionally depleted. Um, so going into an idea where you're deciding to restrict yourself and reduce your intake can be really harmful on your body's postpartum recovery. So we need to make sure we're nourishing our bodies after having a baby. Um, and also, the other thing is, if you're breastfeeding, you're actually going to need more energy and um, you're going to mm -hmm. be getting less sleep. Your body is going to be going through this period of, of healing and recovery, regardless of what type of birth you've had. Your body needs a time to recover. And um, so we need to prioritize our body's nutritional needs and and our own mental health needs as well. So restricting and cutting down on calories and trying to get back to our baby body our pre baby body isn't isn't really helpful at that time. Mm. It's so true what you say as well. Like I'll literally when you're pregnant, they just suck all the, the goodness <laughs> of everything. And then if you go straight into trying to like restrict once they're here, like your poor body is just like, it's just yeah. not going to be functioning well. And like, I'm sure that there are things that would result from that as well. Like I'm not sure, I'm no expert, but I can imagine if you're not, you know, nourishing yourself when you've just gone through birth and carrying a baby, that there's all a range of other kind of mental health and physical things that would kind of result from that. Yeah. And we know that we know that people who diet in the postpartum period are more at risk of postnatal uh, depression as well. It can have mm -hmm. a, a negative effect. Um, and also it has an effect on our, our bonding with our baby. So there's, mm. there's a lot of research around kind of the negative effects of, of, 
trying to restrict ourselves after having a baby. Um, the other thing is that it affects our hormones. Like our, our hormones are in a state of flux after having a baby. Our, our oxytocin is, is changing. Our prolactin that helps to produce milk is changing. And we know that if we're restricting, it can have an effect on those hormones as well. So it's really important to prioritize good nutrition and like recovery nutrition after having a baby instead of trying to just eat less. So being kind to our bodies, taking mm. some time to focus on the positive things that our body's just done. Like we mm. grew a whole new baby, we grew a baby, we grew a whole new organ in the placenta <laughs> and we we brought that baby into the world. And our bodies shifted. Like my my younger sister is pregnant with twins at the moment. And oh, wow. our bodies our bodies go through so many changes. Like our ribs are in a different position. Like they move out and they expand. And all our organs have moved around our body to be able to accommodate those babies fitting in. Um, so there's a lot of changes. Um, and the other thing is that we're getting very little sleep. So it's yes. that that negative thinking that I was talking about earlier that we're we're all hardwired to. It's much more common when we're tired to default to that critical voice and that negative voice. Um, so being really mindful of of that in that postpartum period as well is really important. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know what? Whenever I have these sorts of conversations, it still just blows my mind how connected, like, the brain, the body your emotion, like how all of that is so in sync and we think we're so smart and we can outsmart it, but like the reality is we absolutely cannot, right? Like it's just, it's, I don't know, it's just incredible when you mm. think about what we, and then we think like, oh, we want to lose weight, so we're just not going to feed it. But it's like, no, that's, yeah. <laughs> and we know, we know that the more often that we restrict, like we see that with adults in my work with, with, with people that, that the more we restrict ourselves, the more we actually gain weight. Dieting is the biggest predisposition, pre, pre, um, predictor of weight gain. So the more likely, you're more likely to gain weight by going on a diet or by restricting, restricting your intake. Oh, because I, I'm, I, I read a lot of things, but isn't mm. it true that like when you diet or reduce your calorie intake, your body think, like re, thinks it's in like a famine sort of yeah. situation, so you, like reduce the amount of calories you need so you end yeah. up just functioning on smaller amount of cal calories or something like that yeah so you're the more you restrict your body your body doesn't know the difference it doesn't realize that you're choosing to restrict it thinks that you're in yeah. famine mode so it affects your metabolism your metabolism slows down and the other thing is that it it makes you more preoccupied with food <laughs> so so if you cut some stops foods out you're more likely to think about them more often because your body is driving you to want to redirect the the energy deficit that you've given it so it's driving you to want more carbohydrates or more high fat foods um so you're more likely to to end up binging on them when you do get access to them um oh. and it's the same with children as well we know that like things like sugar have only been proven to be addictive in people who have previously restricted them. So the more you yeah. cut things out, instead of learning how to trust your body around them and self-regulate them, that the more you're going to want to binge on them when you do have access to them. That is incredible. I'm gonna, I want to go more into that because I want to talk about the kids' side of things shortly. But I have one more question for you, and it is around intermittent fasting. I feel like mm. it's a fad I see so many people talking about, um, I personally, if I go back to like pre, pre-pregnancy, this is when I was getting ready for, or getting ready for my wedding, 
planning our wedding and I was like, I want to feel good. I want to look mm. good. And I dabbled with a bit of intermittent fasting and I got myself in a world of strife because mm. my period stopped and then I had to do all this work to regain it, to be able to get pregnant because my body wasn't ovulating. It was like, there's not enough food. Yeah. I'm not ovulating. So I would love you to talk about maybe what is, why is there this fad with intermittent fasting? Is it actually something that works or is it really, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many people saying like, I've had this major success on doing this. And for me, it was really damaging to my body, but I know everyone's different. Yeah, it, it's it's everywhere now. And I think we're seeing intermittent fasting being toted as a, a help for all sorts of things. It's kind of, it's not just around weight. It's now it's been been looked at longevity and resetting your metabolic potential and living for longer and, and stuff about me- menopause and perimenopause that we should be doing fasting. And um, the reality is, is the research around intermittent fasting is still very much in its infancy. There's a lot of like small studies that have been done in animals like rats, um, and they're not necessarily as transferable to human studies. So there were some studies showing that it did have an effect on inflammation rates and, and glucose levels. Um, there's also some studies showing that it, it can allow regest- a digestive system to have a period of rest. Um mm. But we don't know anything long-term. We don't have long-term studies looking at the long-term health outcomes and, and the sustainability of people actually keeping fasting. Um, the other thing is that it, it promotes you to ignore your body's signals. <laughs> like you said, it's kind of, it, it, it stops us from tuning into our hunger and fullness. And for a lot of people, it can lead to a more disordered relationship with food um, mm-hmm. and disordered eating. Um, and it can affect if, if we're losing too much weight, it can affect our periods. Um, so, yes, there are some some early studies that show some small benefits, but we don't know long term the reality of of people keeping to those diets long term. Mm. Um, so there's a risk of disordered eating um, and even the, the potential benefits in terms of health. We, we, we don't have data to show whether that's actually perfect. Pre- potential long-term for people. We know that for the majority of people who go on diets, any diets, whether it's keto, intermittent fasting, um, kind of low-carb, healthy fat, most people cannot maintain that way of eating long-term. And what happens to people is that they don't maintain the benefits. If They, lo- they may lose weight initially, but 85 mm. to 95% of people will regain that weight after they finish the diet. Wow. So if you just imagine, like if you were going into, I don't know, say you, you had to go for a surgery and you're you're signing all the pre-surgery forms and stuff. And the doctor says to you, well, OK, I'm doing this knee operation on you and 85 to 95 percent of people, it, it doesn't work. And actually for three quarters of people, they're worse off after they have the operation. Would you still do it? <laughs> oh, gosh, it's just it's, it's so true. Like I know, you know, like it's just it's all it's the 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 toxic kind of yeah it's the diet culture of everyone's trying this doing this everyone's obsessed with what we look like so if you're sitting at home or wherever you are listening to this podcast and you're like I have a neg I feel like I do not have a positive relationship with my body Mm. not even a positive but I want to be more neutral with my body and I want to demonstrate to my children that and we'll get into the kids but first but what are like some things that you can start today 
to really start shifting the way you view and talk mm. about your body. Mm. I think some of that that stuff that I was talking about earlier, that reframing those negative thoughts, I think one of the first things is actually having an awareness of wh- what we're thinking. And that's where that mm. mindfulness practice comes in, like knowing when you're being, <laughs> I want to say a bitch to yourself. So when that negative voice is coming yeah. up, um, I work with a lot of teenagers and I say to them, like, you're the one person that's going to be with you your whole life. So you've got a choice how you talk to yourself. Um, so reframing those thoughts in your head, picking up on those negative thoughts where they're coming and, and, and reframing them and, and starting to practice some of that gratitude, those, those positive thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing is, is being mindful of the clothes that you're wearing. Like if you were wearing, trying to get yourself into your pre-pregnancy clothing or clothes that you wore before having babies or clothes that you wore last year, but your body's changed, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the reality is, is like we've got this whole thing about the size of our clothes and that we want to fit into a certain size. Um, but nobody knows what size clothing you're wearing except for you. <laughs> yeah. um, I recently got a new a new um, swimming togs for going swimming because I do a lot of open water swimming. And oh, the, cool. the, com- the company sizes, they're all um, they, instead of small, medium and large, it's medium is mighty and large is legendary and extra large <laughs> is extra legendary. And I was like, all clothing should be like that. It'd be cool. <laughs> also who cares about sizes like I'm I'm naturally a small person so I also know I'm having this conversation from a position where I am just a small person but mm. I choose to buy big clothes like, I like wearing looser clothes like yeah. I most of my t-shirts in my drawer are probably like a medium or a large but like mm. you know like it has no bearing on <laughs> what you are as a person exactly. and I love that I think that's so cool and another aspect can be looking at body checking. It's something that's that lots of people do, like whether it's kind of always looking at your reflection whenever you pass a window and allowing that negative voice to kind of run riot kind of um, mm-hmm. or or pulling on clothes, like kind of pulling on things that don't feel comfortable. Or another thing people can do is they sometimes might pinch pinch themselves where they feel fat Um or another thing a lot of people do is weighing themselves regularly. And so trying to kind of break that habit is just like get rid of the scales we don't need to weigh ourselves all the time we don't need to know what our our weight is um wearing clothes that you feel comfortable in that you're not constantly fussing over them or feeling uncomfortable um Mm. or another thing can be if you're if you're around mirrors or or reflective surfaces kind of distracting yourself so that you're making sure you're not checking yourself kind of constantly to remind Mm. yourself in terms of your looks um another thing can be zooming out so that you're not looking at one of the things we notice is we always the more we focus on an aspect the more that's the thing we constantly look at so if somebody's feeling really bad about their body or their arm their their tummy or their arms that might be the one thing they look at constantly when they see themselves in the mirror so zooming out and looking at your whole body um and think about how you view your friends and your family members like we, we don't judge our friends and our family members as hard as we judge ourselves. So mm-hmm. reframing that, like, would we be saying this to somebody who's our really good friend? And we'll be like, oh, you look horrible. Mm-hmm. You've put on weight. <laughs> um, so just mm-hmm. be mindful of how we're talking. Um, another thing is just really listening and trusting our bodies and relearning. For somebody, if you've had a, a history of dieting and constantly restricting yourself or then binging, 
your body's ability to tune into hunger and fullness can be lost. So that's something that you can learn to to relearn by tuning in and, and nourishing your body's cues and honoring them. So when you feel hungry, allowing yourself to eat something and, and allowing yourself to tune in and stopping when you're feeling full. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think those are some great tips to kind of, you know, just start shifting the mindsets that, you know, and I feel like it, it's kind of sad in a way that a lot of us come to this point that we want to start doing this mm. when we have kids. And it's like, we're not even doing it for ourselves at this point. We're like, oh, I want to model this for my kids. So now's the time I start working on it. Whereas like, we should have done this, you know, a long time ago. Mm. But, you know, if you're sitting, you, you're listening to this, you're like, I don't have a positive relationship with my body. I, I want to, and I'm working on it. Mm. But I really want to raise my kid in a way that they have a positive relationship with their food themselves. How how do we how do we how do we ensure that? How do we you know do everything we can to mm. give them the best chance of having that positive relationship with food in their bodies? Mm. Um, I'll break that into two parts, if that's okay, to talk about the body bit and then the food bit. <laughs> it's a big topic. Um, in terms of, of body image, one of the, a really good thing we can do is be mindful of how we talk about bodies in front of our children. So both our own bodies and how we, and, and other people's. Um, it's really common for people to comment on other people's bodies. Um, like, if, if you see that somebody's lost weight going, oh, you look amazing. Have you lost weight? Or you look great. Um, straight away, what you're saying to a child is that smaller and slimmer is better when you're making a mm-hmm. comment on somebody's body. Um, so I would say there's no reason to comment on somebody's bodies at all. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is that we don't really know what's going on for the person. Like they might have lost weight because they're sick and they're not well. Um, I've mm-hmm. had a client once that had cancer and people kept praising her weight loss but she was actually really unwell um or I've had other people that have have um like maybe been going through a divorce and they weren't eating because they were stressed and 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 really unwell or unhappy um Mm. so we don't know the reason or the story behind somebody's journey um and those beliefs for children are formed really really early children as young as 18 months to three years are starting to make beliefs about bodies um wow. they did a study in a, in kindergarten in daycare in the US and they they had dolls different types of dolls so they were looking at race and and gender and mm. what they found was that children were showing a preference for playing with the white skinned body over the or bit dolly over the black dolly um and they were also showing a preference for the um the slimmer doll over the fatter doll and the fat doll was the bad doll mm. And it was these beliefs that are formed by the conversations that they're seeing us have, the media that they're surrounded by. Um, So that's another thing with children is being mindful of what they're seeing in the media mm-hmm. and diet culture is everywhere like it's 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 in cartoons it's in bluey it's it's everywhere so yeah. calling it out where we see it i don't think it's enough to to just kind of shadow our, our kind of shelter our children from it um we need to actually say, what do you think about that? Do you think that's true? Or um, like, I, I my children had these books out from the library. They had these books 
by uh, T.S. Stilton books. They're books about mice that have this detective agency. But the front cover of the book has these mice with full makeup and tiny little cinched in waists. And I'm like, they're mm. mice. Like, why can't we just let them be mice? Why do we why have to put a layer of... Yeah. So... I'll often have conversations with my kids and say, do you think that looks like real bodies? Do you think real bodies look like that? Do you think everybody's bodies look like that? Um, Or another thing can be talking positively about our bodies in front of children. Like um, I did this to such a degree that I remember when my kids were in daycare, I used to get Valentine's Day cards focusing on my body from my kids because I used to say things like oh haven't I got a lovely squishy wobbly belly it's so lovely my squishy belly is great for snuggles and cuddles it's like a little pillow kind of thing Um, yeah or I'd say to my kids oh I've got such a wobbly bottom my bottom's great it's got a built-in cushion for sitting on when I go around (laughs) (laughs) so just talking talking kindly about our bodies and don't I look lovely Mm -hmm. today kind of thing um because our children often only hear negative stuff from us mm-hmm. um, about our own bodies so just being mindful how we talk yeah my kids used it they, they wrote this card about oh my mommy's so lovely she's got such a lovely squishy tummy <laughs> it's great for us oh, <laughs> so cute I'm sitting here feeling like and that's like this is this the thing with parenting is that but I'm like feeling like I'm like oh my goodness all these things that Louis will be absorbing and seeing and hearing and it's like there's only so much you can control right mm. like there's You've got to sometimes just say like I can't, I can't control what other adults or other people say about themselves mm. in front of Louis. Like I can't shut their mouths. So, yeah. what do you do? Is that is that where you use the technique of like, like what would you do in that situation? Like if someone was, say, a friend was over and they'd be like, "Oh my god, I ate so much last night. I feel so gross. I need to mm. lose some weight." Like, what do you say in that situation so that your kids not like? Oh, that's really, really hard. Um, yeah. and I and I can imagine it. Like talking about that would be could 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 bring up some emotions for people. One of the things I would recommend, if it's possible, if it's somebody that you're going to be seeing regularly, and and, mm. and people say this a lot with with kind of grandparents that are around the children mm. a lot, or people who might be be saying things. I would, if if you feel comfortable to do it, would be to just say, oh, we don't talk about bodies like that in this house. We're trying to have a positive relationship with food in our bodies. So we don't talk about food and bodies like that. Mm. Um, or, yeah. or even just being compassionate to your friends saying, I'm sorry you feel about feel like that about your body. Um, however, mm. we're, we're, we're trying to talk kindly about bodies and it, it, yeah. in our house kind of. Um, and, and in our house, we think that all bodies are good bodies. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, because that, that's the message, right? It's like you should look, like and like maybe talking to them about, oh, your, you know, your legs are so great because they help you run. Like the, exactly. the whole how we're trying to retrain ourselves is like actually talk to them about their bodies like that. And yeah. maybe that will just help our brain as well because we're saying it to our kids and then maybe mm. we'll start thinking it ourselves just like that repetition yeah and if you've got somebody like a grandparent who's spending a lot of time in the child's life um, Mm. maybe having a talk with them away from your child like having a sit down over a cup of tea and saying look I I, I've noticed that you you're feeling bad about yourself or you're talking badly about food or negatively about food in front of Mm -hmm. um, my child Um, and it's really important for me um, that that one that that I'm trying to practice compassion to my body but I'm also trying Mm -hmm. to role model it for my child so it'd be really nice if we could 
when you're in front of of the children if you could just talk not talk about food and diets or bodies or um yeah yeah okay oh it's hard though it's a challenge it's 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 a challenging conversation to have I I admit that and so that's the kind of like I guess looking at the body and what about food because that is such a it's such a hard one all of a sudden you go from just having formula or breast milk and then all of a sudden you're introducing solids and then I found my journey with Louis like he'd eat anything and then we kind of entered toddlerhood and it was all of a sudden he had more of opinions around <laughs> what do you I don't want? like that anymore I don't want that yeah. I only want bananas and it's like well yeah. we can't eat bananas all day Louis like <laughs> yeah that's so common not yeah make you like you're saying with the sugar thing like we just want food to be normal so mm. how can we do that yeah, that's the the toddler period is actually a, a, such a common time for these things to start coming up, and there's a couple mm-hmm. of reasons for that. Um, children, when they come to about eighteen months, go through this period of what we call separation individuation. So up until then, they don't know that they're they're separate from us. They think that they're just an extension of us. Um, mm-hmm. But when they go through that separation individuation stage, they're realizing that they're their own person. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really it's really interesting in my work with children with extreme selective eating and and yeah. things like our food and and and, and eat feeding disorders um i've noticed two more common personality types so it's it's the children that are more anxious in general that end up with yeah. more fussy eating because they become more anxious about food when they're anxious about everything just they then have their anxiety more in relation to food but the other thing that I've noticed is the really strong-willed children as well it's the children that want to do things their own way and they want to exert their independence around food so when you were talking about Louis wanting to make his own decisions that that's what I was thinking of just that that strong personality he just wants to do things themselves and we know that if we try and push children to do something or to eat something or to try something it's more likely to have the opposite effect um, so that's mm-hmm. where the work of Ellen Satters um, and the division of responsibility is really helpful because you're not trying to get your child to eat. And it's and it's not your job to get your child to eat. That's one of the common things that I say to parents. Your job is to provide the food and provide some structure, mm-hmm. but it's up to your child to decide whether or not they want to eat. Um, mm-hmm. So as parents, I say kind of offering a wide range of foods and exposing to them to a wide range of foods and role modeling. One of the things that we don't often do, and it's really hard for families where both parents are working or we, we have limited time, is trying to eat with your children where you can. Um, because one of the things is that for children, they're, they generally have a fear of new foods. So if you want them to learn how to eat a wide range of foods, they need to see you eating a wide range of foods as well to know that it feels safe and comfortable. Um, so letting your children decide how much and whether they want to eat, what you've put on the table. Another really helpful thing is letting them serve themselves. So mm. we know that children are more likely to choose a new food if they have put it on their plate themselves. So from, I'd mm. say, two and a half years up, um, letting children put the food on their plate themselves. Or even if, if they're younger and bringing some, giving them an assortment of different things and letting them choose what you've put from from what you've put out for them um mm-hmm. i think a lot of parents worry then about food waste but i um there's a a really good website from auckland council called love food hate waste and it talks about how to reuse food and, and limit food waste and things like that so that can be helpful to look at 
It's so hard, isn't it? Like to just put the food out and just be like, right, like I'll just mm. have to accept whatever they eat is what is mm. that's it, you know, like and not try. Like I always hear myself say it and then I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh what about one more mouthful and I'm like oh no don't like why am I doing this that's exactly what I should and I know I know it's just like it's really hard because we 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 learn from how we were raised as well and that's there's that voice of our parents is there or the other thing is it's really hard when your child's not eating a lot and that there's so much bombarding us with this is what your kids need to eat and this amount of nutrition and then you see kind of people on Instagram serving their children quinoa and kale and then you're stuck there with your child who's only eating chicken nuggets and you're thinking I'm so far from that (laughs) kind of there's this kind of real healthism kind of thing and I think um like if your child's not not eating a certain food group like if they're completely not eating any fruits or vegetables um or if your child is not getting enough protein or dropping weight then you might be more more might need to get some extra support and and see a dietitian or a nutritionist but I think in general if you're giving your child a range of foods it can be helpful to look at what they've eaten over the whole week um so oftentimes my my youngest daughter won't always eat the protein part of a meal but then Mm -hmm. she might get protein somewhere else in the day or she Mm -hmm. might have something some eggs at breakfast or if I cook lasagna I know she's definitely going to eat lasagna so Mm -hmm. it's looking taking that bigger picture and looking over the whole week Um, and I think the other thing is that look at the long-term picture like we really want children who are choosing to eat these foods for themselves when they move out of home eventually (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of thing like nobody's going to be sneaking off to uni hiding kind of vegetables in your kids bolognese kind of with them um so you want children who re who are choosing to eat those foods and the best way for children to learn to eat a wide range of foods is seeing you eating them um allowing them to put them on the plate themselves and having regular exposure to them without any pressure for them to to yeah. try them and and by pressure it pressure can be super subtle it can be congratulating a child for for trying it it can be that just have another bite or you you might like it if you try it you don't know unless you try it kind of um so i often think i've got a really good video on my on my facebook page that talks about pressure and it's it's showing adults at a table exhibiting what pressure looks like um and I think we wouldn't say it to like you wouldn't sit with your husband and go, oh, I really think you should have another bite of peas. I don't think you need <laughs> enough peas. Kind of. <laughs> the other way around, I'm like, do you really need more? Yeah. <laughs> and it's well. Lucky Louie doesn't hear that, but I need to exactly. stop that. Well. <laughs> and and that's the same thing. It, it it goes the same for restriction. We know, like I had a, a child in clinic the other day, and um, the GP had said, oh, you you need to restrict this child's calories. Um, and just give them half of a portion at their meal. But what happened was the child suddenly started gaining weight because if a child doesn't feel like they're getting enough, they tend to eat more because they don't trust they're going to be fed properly. So they eat more at the time when they're given it. Um, And the other thing is they start sneaking and hiding food if they don't think you're going to let them eat it. Um, So bodies come in all shapes and sizes. Like if we look Mm -hmm. at the the curve of bodies and the percentile curve, there's always going to be children that are down in the very bottom of that chart. There's going to be a whole whole chunk of kids in the middle. And there's going to be children that are up on the 98th percentile or 99th percentile. And that's what's normal for them genetically. Um, Mm. So I think it's really mindful when you're going to things like Plunkett before school checks and they're saying, oh, your child is really big or something. 
looking at, well, where is your child plotting? Have they always been along that line? And is that what's normal for them genetically? And that's just a normal mm. predisposition. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm gone off track a bit, <laughs> kind of, but yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. So I've always wondered that as well with Plunkett and they're like, oh, you're like this percentile, like, and talking about, and I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Like, mm. is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Like, for like instance, Louis was, he's just like, I think to start, he was like 25th, away and he's mm. gone up slightly but then when you look at him he's like a long lean mm. little guy yeah. but it's like I was like oh so is that you know is that bad like he's only 25th percentile that seems like he's really small but they're like nah and it's like yeah. well if you had the opposite and they're in the like 98th percentile mm. like what is what does all this mean like why do we care <laughs> <laughs> so if we were, if we were to take 100 children and plot yeah. them on a graph um They'd, they'd all come up differently. And that's really basically mm -hmm. what that's showing us. It's showing us a curve of what's normal. So there was like the majority of children will be around the middle, somewhere between the 25th and the 75th will be where most yeah. children will sit. But there's always mm -hmm. going to be outliers. There's going to be some on the on the smaller end and there's going to be some on the other end. And, and I yeah. always, when I'm working with families in clinic, um, I work in a pediatric clinic and I, I, I see a lot of children through that. And I will always look at, well, where where's everybody else in the family like is is dad mm -hmm. tall and lean is is mm -hmm. is mum shorter and fatter like where where mm -hmm. where's their genetic predisposition and where is that coming from because that can be helpful mm -hmm. just going back to to the sugar thing because i've just realized mm -hmm. that we didn't i didn't talk to that um oh yes that's one of the things that people always ask me is what how do we manage sugar <laughs> and how do we mm -hmm. How do we help children learn how to regulate it and, and learn how to trust themselves with it? Um, I, I often work, work with adults who don't feel like they can keep chocolate in the house because they feel like they're going to eat all of it or they, they, they're not able to keep chippies and things in the house because they, they don't trust themselves around food. So what we're looking for is children that feel that they can trust themselves with food and that they know how to regulate their intake when it comes to it. Um, mm. So it's sugar children need to have regular access to sweet foods um mm -hmm. and it sounds really strange i recommend serving it alongside the rest of the meal at dinner time okay. um so putting something sweet a couple of times a week and i say a child size portion so about the size of their palm of their hand so that could be a mini muffin or a couple of squares of chocolate or um, a scoop of ice cream and and letting your child decide when they want to eat it in relation to the rest of the meal which sounds bizarre but what we're trying to do is we're trying to level the playing field so that the food is not this thing on a pedestal and um, there were studies that were done looking at families that used food as a reward um, or rewarded mm -hmm. children to eat certain foods. And what they did was they took children into two groups. So they had one group of children that, um, and they, they asked them kind of what, how you rate these foods. Are these foods you don't like, foods you're, you don't mind, you're not bothered, and foods you really like. And what mm -hmm. they did was they sent the families away and asked one group to use food as a reward to get children to eat the foods that they weren't so sure about and they didn't like. And mm -hmm. what was fascinating when they came back was that the children had put the foods from the I'm not sure about it into the I don't like it column when they were bribed to eat it. Um, and what that tells us is that yeah. if, if we tell a child, oh, you can eat your ice cream if you have your broccoli, you're telling them that broccoli is not nice. <laughs> 
So you're, oh, re- you're reinforcing that neural pathway that says, okay, well, if you eat the yucky stuff, then I'll give you the nice thing. So you're, yeah. strengthen- you're strengthening their belief that, sh- that the ice cream's amazing and that broccoli is not very good. <laughs> yeah, that they're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and it's it's one area where it's an exception to the division of responsibility. So normally I would let children eat as much as they want of those of, of what's on the table. So if they want to help themselves to more pasta or more rice or more chicken at the table, um, I'd mm. let children have as much as they feel like eating. But with sugar and sweet foods, it, it does have the upper hand because it, it tastes better. <laughs> for a lot yeah. of um, So that's where we look at just having a child-sized portion. So they can choose when they want to eat it in relation to their food. Um, mm-hmm. And if they ask for more, I simply say, we, we don't have any more at the moment, but we might have some more tomorrow or the next day or when we go to visit granny. or yeah. So that they know that it's not something that's limited. They're going to have an opportunity to eat it again. Um, okay. And the other thing that children need is they need some times where they can have unconditional permission to eat those foods. And the best time to do that is at a snack time. So Mm. it doesn't interfere with the main meal nutrition. So I would put the whole packet of biscuits or the bag of chippies along with some other foods. So it might be with some carrots and hummus or with some celery sticks or some peanut butter toast or something. So putting it with some other snacks and allowing their child to just eat as much as they're hungry for. And what you notice in time is that your child, initially they'll test the limits. They'll they'll make mistakes. They'll say, oh, is mom really going to let me eat as much as I want? And they might Mm. end up feeling sick. (laughs) Um, yeah and learn from those experiences um I had a I had a fem a friend of mine who went to a birthday party a while ago with her two or three year old and she has she has some other children as well and all the kids were just going mad eating cake and biscuits and all the stuff that was there and she was watching her three-year-old going around with this cup of kind of seven up and and having loads of biscuits and cakes and stuff and she said oh she's gonna feel sick I really just want to want to stop her and help her mm-hmm. um mm. but she'd been to some of my workshops and she said no no I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait and what happened mm. was amazing about five minutes later her daughter turned around to her and goes oh I feel a little bit sick I think I've had too much fizzy and handed her the cup of fizzy um oh, wow. so she'd learned herself and if the mom had kind of gone and interrupted her and said oh I think you've had enough Mm. her brain would have automatically gone I want more because mum's not letting me have any more um, mm. but by learning that herself that it didn't feel good she learned from that experience and then is able to then go oh actually eating too much of that makes me feel a bit yuck so I might eat a bit less next time gosh we've just really got to like let them learn some like learn their own boundaries out because that's what we didn't get to do and that's why we have the relationship that or this different yeah. way of thinking about food I'm thinking about the whole dinner time thing you said so you know serving something sweet with their dinner so that it's like the whole idea that everything's equal nothing's better than anything else mm. so I feel like if I did that with Louie right now every night that I did that without a doubt he'd eat mm. the sweet thing first like even if it's mm. fruit on his plate which I quite often do with dinner I have it with some mm. fruit that's usually like nine times out of ten the first thing to go mm. so he's obviously is this like a I don't know do you think over time he would just start to like not see it as this like yeah I'm like, it's that way so he obviously just has a little bit more of a mm. taste for something 
sweeter. I don't know. And that's exactly what happens. Like over time, children shift. Like I know with my Mm. younger child, when we were doing it, she would always eat the sweet thing first. But it didn't Mm. put her, and I think people have this idea about, well, then they're not going to eat their their spaghetti bolognese or their 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 fish or whatever but um mm. children will still eat if they're hungry and and that's what happens is they just keep eating until they feel full and 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 sometimes yeah. they'll only eat half the muffin because they're prioritizing eating something else um i've got a video of my daughter when she was about four or five and she's she's got a nice block on the side of her but she's choosing to eat some bean sprouts and some capsicum and she puts down the ice block to eat those, but then she goes back to the ice block and then she goes back to the capsicum and the bean sprouts, which sounds weird, but um, it's amazing to watch it, particularly if you haven't grown up in that way. Um, yeah. But it will take time for your child to learn those things. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that restricting it doesn't work. Um, there was a study mm-hmm. in the States and they looked at children, at six-year-old girls, and they had families, two different families. So they had families that regularly allowed their children have access to those foods and families that restricted it completely and they took Mm. them in this situation where they gave them some food first so they weren't overly hungry and then an Mm. hour or so later they put them in a party situation where there was all sorts of lollies and sweets and cakes and and what they found was that children that had come from those restricted families ended up eating more than what they were hungry for so they binge ate Mm. but the other thing that's so sad um is that they reported feeling shame and guilt for eating so it was the beginning of that neg- they're only six and they were starting to feel that negative relationship with I'm ashamed of myself for eating more like there's a there's always going to be times where we eat for emotional reasons like emotional mm. eating has gotten this bad rap like there's going to be times where we eat for emotional reasons where we feel like I just really feel like a pizza tonight or I feel like a Thai takeaway or something and it, it's yeah. there's gonna if I go home to Ireland and my mom is making like my favorite dinner even if I'm not overly hungry I'll probably still eat it so there's times where we'll yeah. eat a bit more than what we're hungry for and having a positive relationship with food is being compassionate in those times and knowing that it's not something we do all the time. If somebody's always eating for emotional reasons and to, to help emotions with food, I'd be wondering, like, are there any skills that we can help them to deal with emotions in a different way instead of needing to use food all the time? Or if somebody's mm. always eating more than they're hungry for, I'd wonder why are they constantly overriding their hunger? So there's times where we will sometimes do it. And, and that's part of a healthy relationship with food. And it's something mm. our kids will do, too. And we've just got to trust our bodies in this situation, right? Like our body can deal with some extra food. Like that's not yeah. going to like make you all of a sudden gain I don't know. 10 pounds or something. Kind of... exactly. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like you were saying, like, look, I'm, I know that was more of an example for a kid, but like look at yeah. it across a week or a month. Like it's exactly. not going to, Yeah, it's all about letting, letting go of the control. But I mean, I feel like everything you've said has just kind of come back to the fact that like we need to just like model the behavior almost that we want to see in our children even if we don't believe it for ourselves yet like that is probably like the most key thing I've taken from this is like just modeling the behavior we kind of want to see and not not demonizing anything or making anything seem better or worse or it's all just like you said food's food like it's a chocolate bar or it's a piece of I don't know an apple or a a carrot or it's just like all those different things for our bodies but it's just food yeah and if we can step away from that I I think one of the things is that we need to step away from that shame and guilt around eating because that is a negative like if if you're constantly feeling bad about your body and constantly feeling shame for your eating 
that's going to have a negative effect on your body physically because you're going to be in a state of stress all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can get to a point of feeling positive about food and and feeling like I it, it doesn't mean we ignore I think people have this idea like one of the things I specialize is in intuitive eating and teaching people how to tune into hunger and fullness and how to do that for their children um and how to nourish their bodies it doesn't mean that you just eat whatever you like whenever you like and it, it, it's tuning inwards and thinking like how do I feel what's going to feel really good physically um when we look at mindful eating there's a really good phrase that they say is that we want to feel physically and emotionally better after the meal than we did before mm. so letting go of shame and guilt around food tuning into what feels good physically for us whether that's moving your body in a way that feels good like enjoying exercise and activity because it makes us feel good about ourselves not because we need mm. to burn off yesterday's cake or whatever um and it's you're much more likely to have like it's it's really hard to take care of a body that you hate so if we can love our bodies as they are or accept them at least and feel good about our bodies then we can learn how to take care of our bodies in a way that feels really nourishing and and helps us feel better physically and helps us be healthier in general and of course while doing all of that our kids are just going to see us having this kind of neutral relationship with our bodies, enjoying food, enjoying exercise, not focused on what we look like. And the mm-hmm. yeah, I guess that will then like demonstrate to them how we like how they should be about their bodies. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and acknowledging that it's hard. Like it really is hard in our current society because it's everywhere. It's it's in our schools. It's right, really. It, yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Um. So calling it out where you need to and getting support, like like, if you see diet culture, just saying, oh, that's just ridiculous. Like the summer body. Mm. What does it mean to have a summer body or a beach body? Like, mm. like, I sometimes bring humor to it with my kids. I kind of say, like, oh, what does it mean to have a good beach body? Like, does it mean that your skin reflects the sun, so you don't need to wear sunscreen, <laughs> or that you've got built-in flipper feet? Like, that's a good beach body, <laughs> kind of yeah it's so ridiculous um, it is ridiculous and actually this is a bit off topic but I um have a funny video on my phone from the other night of Louie and he was just like crawling around the house butt naked pushing his truck and I sent it to my mom and she was like isn't it just the most cute beautiful thing when at, at this age where they don't have any thoughts about their body they're just naked and they just like are enjoying it and like he looks so funny and cute just crawling around butt naked yeah and I was just like yeah isn't that just like the most beautiful thing like he has no body insecurity mm. at all like he is yeah. just rocking it and it's I don't want to I don't want to change that like I don't want him to be crawling around pushing a truck when he's 30 but like <laughs> I don't ever think like he should be ashamed of his body like I don't exactly. you know like I think that's the one thing that we probably all want for our kids is just that they they love themselves yeah. or, like you say, are neutral about themselves, yeah. about their bodies. Yeah. Um, like we're not, uh, none, none of us are going to turn around on our deathbeds and just think, oh, I wish I'd just lost those extra 10 kilos or five kilos. Like we're not going to be thinking about those moments. We're going to be thinking about the moments of connection with our children, our friends, those, those, those moments that lifted us up. It, it doesn't matter what we look like. Our, our, like, yes, we need to take care of our bodies because hmm. we want them to last a long time. 
Um, but our body is just a vessel that gets us around mm-hmm. the world. And, and only 5% of people genetically have the body that we're seeing in the media. Um, like I remember seeing this interview where Cindy Crawford had once said, I wish I looked like Cindy Crawford because she doesn't wake up looking like that. She has a team of makeup and hair and photoshopping and everything else. So we're not seeing real bodies. And it's mm-hmm. really important that we just acknowledge that that our body's just part of who we are. Um, it's just something to, to get us around. We need to take care of it. But um, And it's nice to look nice sometimes and get dressed up. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it's, it's, it's not the be all and end all in life. Oh. I have just loved talking to you, Rachel. I feel like I could keep talking to you. It's just such an important topic. But if anyone does want to get in touch with you for a consult or to do your program, what would be the best way to get in touch? Um, If you just look me up at, it's www.thefoodtree.co. It's not .com. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks .com, but it's just .co. Um, And I've got two online workshops there. So I've got one about starting solids. Um, that you okay. can watch in your own time and it's looking at how you start solids in a way that um, allows children to have that that trusting their their own feeding cues from that very beginning um, and then the other one is about fussy eating and there's also work that I do with early childhood centers or schools so they can book me in through there or you can book a one-to-one either so amazing well like I said I could just keep talking to you I think it's just <laughs> There's so many more questions, but I will let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm feeling very motivated and quite inspired after this conversation. So I'm sure there'll be other parents out there feeling the exact same way. So just a big thank you. I will link your website in the show notes so that people can reach out if they have further questions. Um, but yeah, again, just a huge thank you for coming on and sharing all your expertise. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely talking to you. It's been great.